Well, good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. We got a lot of great, um, lot of, I know we have a lot of guests here this morning, so again, I'm so glad that y'all are here. Uh, I am not Scott. Uh, as you can probably tell, I'm much more handsome than he is. So, um, but uh, no, Scott is off traveling this weekend. He's actually doing a wedding in Florida uh, for some friends of his, and so I was glad to, to take up the mantle and continue our study in Genesis this morning. So, um, so again, I'm so glad that y'all are here. Um, go ahead and open up your Bibles with me to, verse, uh, to chapter 30 of uh, Genesis, and that's where we're going to be picking up where Scott left off in the first half of Genesis last week. So, um, let's see. So last week... Uh, we talked a lot about um, Genesis, and I know we're looking at, you know, we're, we're so far we're um, 30 chapters in, 30 out of 50, so we're, we're coming up on that. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was asking some friends of mine uh, just for some recommendations on some different TV shows that I might be able to binge watch. Do I have any fellow binge watch TV show, shows out there? A lot of us. Again, I know gluttony's the thing, right? So we don't want to do that too much, but a little bit of entertainment here and there is not a bad thing. And, uh, and so what I did is, of course, I was asking for some recommendations uh, for some TV shows, and of course, I got some good ones. And so I started watching some of these TV shows. I had a, a free night, so I didn't have really a lot to do that night. And, um, and then, of course, as that one episode ends, the next one comes up. And what does it usually tell us? Previously on whatever show you're watching. So that's what we're going to do a little bit this morning, okay? Previously in Genesis, because I want to make sure that we're not missing some of the things that we've been talking about so far in the previous 30 and a half chapters uh, that we've been talking about. Uh, because yes, what we have this morning is cool just by itself, but I don't want you to miss the context that we have of why it's super cool in the context of everything we've already seen so far. So I know that for a lot of you, that if you're, as you're binge watching these TV shows, sometimes you'll be tempted to hit this button, the skip recap button. Nobody hit that button this morning, okay? No skipping recaps this morning, okay? Have, we're going to sit through this together, but I promise we're gonna, I'm going to give this recap to you so that you can see the, the full breadth of the context that we're sitting in this morning and why it's super cool. And the reason we believe it's super cool is because regardless of how you might have learned as you were younger, um, the Bible is not 66 separate books that have nothing to do with each other. We believe that the Bible is 66 stories that are strung together to tell a grand narrative of how much God loves us and what he's done for us. And I don't want you to miss that this morning, because even just in Genesis, we see the beginning of that story. And so I want to make sure that we don't miss, even in chapter 30, how this ties together with some of the other things that we've already learned in, uh, in Genesis leading up to this moment. So, so again, no hitting the skip recap button, but I want to give you a little bit of a, a recap of where we're at. So previously in Genesis. Uh, so of course, the first little bit, we already know, Adam and Eve came, uh, God created Adam and Eve, and um, they, God told them to, they can eat of any tree in the garden except for one. And which one did they eat from? The one, right? So, of course, you tell a toddler they can't do something, that's exactly what they're going to do. And that's what we see happening. Of course, that ushers in sin into the world. And then God goes looking for them because they're hiding in, in their shame and nakedness. And then God graciously gives them clothes to cover that nakedness. And it's in this gracious act of the Father God that we begin to see the loving, careful touch of a father to his creation. This is where we begin to see this theme. And from the very beginning, we see God covering nakedness. We see God covering shame. And we don't get to hit the fast forward bit all the way to where we are this morning. But I want to show you how maybe some of the things after Adam and Eve have shown this to be true over and over and over. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit to Noah. In Noah, we see that God, uh, God looks down and sees a wicked people, and we see only Noah, he sees his righteousness. And so what does God do? He tells him that a flood is coming, tells him to build an ark. And we see that God himself 
seals Noah and his family into this ark. This is yet another example of God preserving his people from his own wrath, allowing Noah's family to multiply after the floodwaters subside. We fast forward just a little bit more, and we see God speaking to Abram, showing him the stars in the sky, and showing that I'm going to make you a great nation, and your descendants will number the scars in the sky. Which is kind of weird for him, because at the time, he didn't have any kids. He was old. His wife was old. So it was kind of hard for him to believe that. But then we see God, again, over and over and over, following through on the promise that he made, giving Abram his son, Isaac. We fast forward a little bit more to last week. And Pastor Scott showed us in chapter 30 a few aspects that we see of God, that God sees us, God hears us, God loves us, and God has a plan for us. That's good news. So not only does God preserve his people and bless his people, but he's also near to his people. We don't worship a God who sits high upon a mountain and is oblivious to the creation down below. We serve a God who loves us and cares for us and chooses to do those things and humbled himself and died for us. That's the God that we serve. So over and over again, already just in these chapters that we've seen so far in Genesis, we see this theme of a God who not only preserves his people, but also chooses to bless those people. And over and over and over, we see God keeping those promises. Because God's faithful, is he not? God is faithful. And all of these examples of God saving his people and blessing them simply points to the pinnacle of this story that we're talking about. Again, all 66 books tell a grand narrative, and the pinnacle of that story is what? When I ask questions, I expect answers, y'all. So who's the, who's, the, uh, who's the pinnacle of this story? Jesus, that's right. All right, sermon over. Y'all go home. Right. No, right. so I got some more to say. But um, right, we know that the pinnacle of this grand narrative is of Jesus. And we see that all of these things that we see in Genesis and Exodus and all the books of the Old Testament, all the epistles that we see in the Old, New Testament is pointing simply to the Jesus that will come, God's own son coming and restoring us. Because God through his, all these promises that we see him fulfilling all throughout the Old Testament, is pointing to the greatest promise that he will fulfill in his son, Jesus. And that is what I want you to, talk, um, to walk away with this morning. As we look at a microcosm of God making promises and fulfilling them, or, and we just see maybe even the process of that fulfillment, that we know that it is a shadow of the fulfillment to come and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his bodily resurrection. That's what I want to make sure that we don't lose sight of today, because it's easy to get lost in the weeds when we're talking about sheep and goats and stuff. But, uh, but I want to make sure that we're not losing sight of the forest through the trees in that. So, so again, I'm so glad that you're here with us. Um, thank you for not hitting the skip recap button on me, but we're going to pick up in verse 25 of Genesis where, where Scott left off last week. So starting in chapter 25, read with me. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph... Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you know yourself I have served you, and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall get, not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through your flock today, removing, it from, any, removing from it any speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb 
and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So the honesty will answer for me when you come to look at my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled the stick. He, then he set, I'm sorry. Then he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks of the troughs, that is, in the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the stripes and, the, and all the black of the flock to Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the, in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they may breed among the sticks. But the feebler of the, of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would see Laban's and stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, and male servants, and camels, and donkeys. All right. So, after reading that, is anyone else doing this? And then, like, you start reading, and you go back, I mean, I, even I messed up reading it a little bit. You look at it, and you're like, wait a second, sticks and goats, and what, what is going on here? Is anyone else with me on this, Okay. This can be weird sometimes, right? So I know Scott talked about this last week, that sometimes as we read Scripture, it can be kind of confusing. It's just, that's just the reality, right? Especially when you look at texts that was, and, and looking at cultures that are different from ours and reading things and we see superstitions that we don't understand. There's lots of context around this, right? And sometimes it's weird to us. But I want to make sure that um, we all know and we don't forget the words in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Genesis 30, 25 through 43 is not an exception to that rule. We believe, I believe, that God has something rich for us this morning, even in talking about sheeps and goats and sticks. And I believe that God has something great for us this morning uh, as we continue to do this. So, um, so I'm excited to jump into this with you guys. Uh, and before we do, uh, let, let me pray for us. God, you are an amazing God. God, just like we've already mentioned, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for looking down on a people who cannot save themselves, looking at a, um, a requirement of perfection on us and not just discarding us, but humbling yourself to come and die in our place, something that we couldn't do for ourselves, God. God, thank you for not only saving us, but also giving us your righteousness. God, thank you that when you look at us, you see the finished work of Jesus, not the, the feeble filthy rags that I try to bring to you every day. So God, thank you for everything that you've done. God, thank you for the words in Genesis 30. God, uh, allow, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Allow us to have our ears open and our hearts open to what you have for us this morning, God. And God, specifically for, for people in this room who may not know you, don't call themselves Christians, God, I pray for a continued softening of their hearts as well. God, even when they're thinking about stories that may just seem like fairy tales and fables to them, God, that you show them there is truth in the Word of God and that the Word of God does not return void, God. Let them, see, let them actually feel what that feels like, God, not just words on a page. 
God, we love you. Thank you for Genesis. Thank you for your grand story. Thank you for your love for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's look back real quick at the top of verse 25, because I'm going to start unpacking this for us uh, quickly as we, uh, as we see what maybe might seemingly a confusing um, passage might be. So we find Jacob and Laban talking, right? So, so, so far in Genesis, we've seen some interactions between Laban and Jacob, and they were the best of friends, right? Laban and Jacob loved each other. They did everything together. They walked around holding hands. They loved each other, right? No, not so much, right? Of course they weren't best of friends, right? So, well, I mean, quite the opposite. It seems that Laban, every chance that he gets, tries to pull one over on Jacob. I mean, one big example, of course, is that after seven years of indentured servitude, Laban plays a little switcheroo and tricks Jacob into marrying Leah instead of Rachel that he wanted, and then forcing Jacob to work another seven years as a servant to marry Rachel too. So it seems that we, to me, as we're looking at this text, we get a little bit of that tone into how we see uh, Jacob and Laban talking to one another. So look at, um, look at this in verse 25. So, so does, does it say... Jacob politely requested of Laban? Does it say, excuse me, kind sir, if you would? No, what does it say? It says, flatly, Jacob said to Laban. <laughs> it just says that, right? And so I think, you know, again, this is, this is Blake's interpretation of this, right? I think it, says, it might have sounded something like this. Send me away that I may go to my home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. I think that might have been how it could have sounded. A little bit of indignation, a little bit of frustration in there. Um, would, would you not feel the same way when you're dealing with someone that keeps pulling the wool over your eyes? Probably be a little frustration in there, right? And maybe even rightfully so. But one thing to note is that back in this time, when he, a hired shepherd, like someone like similar to um, Jacob's position, when they were leaving to go to their next gig, it wasn't uncommon for them to ask for about 20% of the shepherd that they've been flock, the, the flock that they've been shepherding. That wasn't an uncommon thing to ask. It would have been reasonable. But what do we see Jacob demand? Just his family. That's all he asked for. Just give me my wife and my children and let me go. Let me get out of here. It's totally understandable. But it's almost as Jacob was saying, just let me get my family so I can get the heck out of here and so I can back to my, go back to my own home and start taking care of my own people. But knowing what we know about Laban, uh, we, we're not surprised at all by his answer. In verse 27 to 28 we read, But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. So right off the bat we see that uh, sneaky snake Laban is at it again, right? So uh, he's trying to weasel himself yet another advantage. Laban's, uh, now keep in mind, Laban is Jacob's father-in-law. Now, I don't know about your relationships with your father-in-laws, but typically that relationship, uh, I have a good relationship with my father-in-law, by the way, if he's listening, and, um, is, uh, sorry, Gary, love you guys, love you, buddy, um, is uh, uh, usually that's a, that's a place of respect, right? So, but how do we see Laban talking to Jacob? Laban is groveling to Jacob. You can see that he's already trying to weasel himself in there, right? So, if I have found favor in your sight, is what Laban tells to him. I mean, I mean, if I were Jacob, I'd be seriously Laban? <laughs> you tricked me into seven years of servitude and a wife I didn't want, and now we're asking for favors. <laughs> is, that, is that really, that's kind of how I would be approaching that. 
that chance, Laban? I don't think so. <laughs> and then, of course, we see Jacob answer that, right? And, uh, but Laban goes on to say that he knows that the only reason he's blessed is because of Jacob. Now, it says it's because of divination. It might have been careful observation. It might have been him literally doing some voodoo stuff and him finding out. We don't know. But um, we, all we know is that Laban knows that the only reason he's seeing blessing is because of Jacob. And so, of course, desperate, he's reluctant to let Jacob go because he's afraid that if Jacob goes, the Lord's blessing might go with him. Name your wages, Laban says. It seems to me here, it seems to me that Laban is yet again trying to trick him into some more servitude. Because Laban doesn't say what he wants. He he says that here in a minute. He says, name your wages. And that implies that Jacob will have to earn those wages. Maybe get some more time out of Jacob. As if 14 years isn't enough, right? We see Jacob's answer. You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household? Again, this is how I hear um, Jacob talking to Laban. I mean, would you not be ready to get up on out of there too? (laughs) Think about what Jacob has already gone through, right? And let's see. There's a lot of frustration here in his voice, I believe. And essentially, to me, it sounds like Jacob's saying, nice try, Laban. I've worked for you enough, more than enough. I mean, you barely had anything before I came, and because of me, the Lord has blessed your household. It's time for me to take what is rightfully mine and take care of my own household now. And Laban just keeps on trying, though. Laban says, what shall I give you? Jacob says, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. I don't want to keep working for you, Laban. This is what he, I feel like he's saying. I'm done. Then Jacob offers a different idea that doesn't involve him continuing to work for Laban. Let me pass through your flock today, removing it from, every, uh, from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats that they shall be my wages. So my, so my honesty will answer for me later. For when you come to look at my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs if found with me, shall be counted as stolen. So, of course, Jacob does not want to keep working for Sneaky Snake Laban. I mean, I wouldn't either, right? So he sternly makes this offer. And I think, by using that word honesty, I think he's taken a little jab at Laban's dishonesty so far because Laban has been anything but honest with him so far in their relationship. So now remember, this offer that Jacob's making to them, just a minute ago, I told you that it wasn't uncommon for shepherds to ask for what percentage? 20. Y'all are paying attention. Thanks. Keep, keep it coming, guys. So keep eyes on me, all right? So 20% is not an uncommon ask for, a, a, for, someone in Jacob's, um, for someone in Jacob's position to ask for. But what he's asking for is actually something very, very, a lot smaller than that. What he's asking for is uh, the speckled and spotted sheep. Now, keep in mind that sheep and goats aren't usually speckled and spotted. They're usually white, fluffy sheep, and goats are usually brown or black. They're usually not spotted. In fact, I have some examples. So here's a picture of a, um, of a sheep. Y'all have seen the sheep before. This is the sheep. He's fluffy, nice, eating some grass, chilling, doing, doing his own thing, right? That's what, this is what sheep do. This is what they typically look like. Now, I was looking for an example of some black and brown goats, and I actually found one, but it's, uh, it, it's remarkable uh, because I, actually, I didn't know they had photos back then, but much less videos. I actually found a video of Leah singing with one of the goats. So here it is. 
That was old weak eye Leah. All right. I don't know if you could tell, the goat in that picture, not speckled. He was, he was a little bit lighter brown, okay? So that wasn't Leah, by the way, y'all. But I couldn't resist. That video's hilarious. So. so yeah, so as you can see, that we have speckled sheep, but usually they're white. Usually they're just brown or spotted like this one in the Taylor Swift video, okay? So what Jacob was asking for wasn't half of your sheep. It wasn't most of your sheep. It was likely a very, very small fraction of the sheep that he was asking for, which, of course, we know is very meager, reasonable, humble, because he could have been asking for 20%, but it's likely very, a lot, lot smaller than that. So what do we see happen after Jacob makes this request? Laban said, good, let it be as you said. So sure, of course you can do that. But that day, Laban removed all the goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and then put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban's going to Laban, right? So yeah, he's sneaky snake Laban. Of course he's going to do this. So he, yeah, sure, I'll let you do this. Then what does he do? He goes and steals everything he just promised to Jacob and puts it under the charge of his sons, essentially keeping it within his own wealth and not able to give it to Jacob anymore. So again, first playing switcheroo with his daughters, tricking Jacob into marrying the wrong one, weaseling seven extra years out of Jacob so he can marry Rachel, now going behind Jacob's back and taking the livestock he agreed upon and giving to his sons. That's a lot, right? So what did Jacob do? We see that here in the last line of 36, Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So it appears that sneaky snake Laban managed to weasel a little bit more time out of Jacob after all. So unfortunately, Laban wins. So Laban wins in this case. Um, so I, I can't help but stop right now and ask the question, um, as, our, um, as the great theologian Jerry Seinfeld would ask, what's the deal with Laban? Right? So, right? so what's up with Laban? Like, what is, he, what is his deal? Like, why is he continually sticking it to Jacob every chance he gets? So, I mean, he's a real piece of work. I mean, does that not, is everyone seeing this? Am I the only one in this? I'm glad you're all with, with me in this. I mean, do you think anyone next to you is like, I don't know, maybe Laban's just misunderstood. No one's thinking that, okay? No one's thinking that. Laban is a sneaky snake, okay? We all, we all agree with that, okay? So that's my, that's my daughter's favorite thing to say, a sneaky snake, so I had to put it in here. So it seems that every turn, every opportunity, Laban's sticking it to Jacob, even if it's just the slightest advantage. So what's his deal? Why does he keep doing this? And something that might give us a little bit more context and give us a, a lens through which to look at this is actually some of Jesus' words that we read in the Gospel of Matthew in, in his Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what has Laban's focus been on through his entire dealings with Jacob? Has it been on the Lord? It's been on himself, wealth. It's been on everything that he's, his material possessions, everything he can grab, right? Even back in 27, verse 27, when Laban, it says that Laban recognizes that these blessings are from the Lord. But what is he more focused on? The Lord or the Lord's blessings? I think it's clear. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mean, whether it's status, not wanting his younger daughter to be married before his older daughter, 
or if it's free labor trying to trick Jacob into more and more years of servitude, or if it's material possessions with this abundant livestock, I think it's clear that Laban's eyes were fixed upon the outcome of the Lord's blessings, not the Lord himself. So, not that he doesn't deserve it, but before we keep piling on to Laban, I want to ask you this. At times, are we much different than Laban? I mean, what are you more focused on? The Lord or his blessings for you? I mean, how often do we act like Laban? Yes, acknowledging that blessings are from the Lord, but God is just a means to an end to get said blessings. Do you just treat him like a blessings ATM whenever things are going badly? I don't think anyone in here will say out loud, I love God doing stuff for me, but I just don't love God that much. But later on in that same Sermon on the Mount that we referred to just a second ago, that's up on the screen, Jesus also mentions a tree. What does he say about that tree? I'm really asking, what does he say about that tree? You can tell a tree by its what? By its fruit. You can tell a tree by its fruits. So I want you to try and look at yourself in a mirror and really, really look. If you're not sure where to start, one specific aspect of your spiritual life that might be a good litmus test for this is your prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? And is it just asking for stuff when you need stuff? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to ask the Lord for things. He told us to do that, right? But is the only time you're praying is when you're asking for things. I know I'm coming in a little heavy-handed, but let me be the first to say I'm guilty of this. I look like Laban a lot. I look like Laban more than I probably even realize. When times are tough, my prayer life always seems to get stronger, and I think that's a blessing of the Lord, one of the ways he helps pull me closer to him. But it's not uncommon for that strong prayer life to wane, maybe even just a little bit, or maybe a lot of it in the good times. Am I alone? I don't think I am. Sometimes I use God as a means to an end. It's, just, it's, it's a reality of my sinful nature. And again, I'm talking about Blake, but I know I'm not alone in this room. And I don't think I'm the only one that God is holding this mirror to as we look at Laban's life in this. So I want, really want you to look at this. Yes, I want you to find rest for your weary souls in Jesus. He told us to do that. Go to him when you're battered and broken. Maybe even when you're feeling guilty about how much you look like Laban. That's even an invitation to go and rest in Jesus. But also, I want you to pray with me, a prayer that I've been praying as God has been really challenging me in this text. I want you to pray with me that I will be listening to the Spirit even in the good times, not just the bad times. Because guess what? The only reason you're in a good time is because that's a blessing from the Lord in and of itself, right? So what should we be doing in that moment? Praising God for the good times. And again, I don't want to pile onto you things to do or things to say, but I would want you to use this as a, as a diagnostic in your heart about maybe some of the areas in our heart that Jesus is inviting you to bring, inviting you into closer communion with him. I think we all look like Laban from time to time. Don't just treat God as a, as a blessings ATM. He's available all the time. And he loves talking to you. He loves hearing from you because he loves you so much. All right, let me get off of Laban. 
Continue with me and uh, pick back up with me in verse 37. And we're going to go through verse 40. Then when Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond plane tre- uh, and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks, he set the sticks that had, he had peeled in front of the flocks in the uh, troughs, that is, in the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So, we see here Jacob's counterplan to Sneaky Snake Laban. So, we say that Laban, you know, promised all these sheep and goats. Laban goes and steals them. What does Jacob do? He says, okay, well, I guess we've got to make some more speckled goats. So, what does he do? What does he turn to in order to do this? Folklore and superstition. That's what he does, right? So I know it talks about like these sticks and peeling them and everything, but at that time, and actually you can still find it in different parts of the world today, there was a superstitious belief that whatever the mother is looking at during the time of conception, the physical characteristics of whatever she's looking at will be passed on to the young. So I know, I know that that sounds kind of weird. You can still, but we don't have that, in our, at least not in my culture growing up, so I never heard of that before, but you can still find that today. So in other words, if a pure white sheep mama that we were looking up here, right, was looking at some, something speckled, like maybe a branch of poplar, like Jake can grab, and, and he peeled it so that it looked striped, you know, the brown bark with the white um, meat underneath it, then maybe that sheep's youngins will come out speckled just like that stick. That's what he was hoping would happen. And that's what the culture around him, the superstitions that he has grown up listening to likely, uh, told him. Now, we know that this is just superstition now and silly. We know that this is not how conception works. This is not how genetics works, right? But apparently it worked. Because what do we see happen in verse 39? The solid-colored sheep and goats started giving birth to speckled and spotted young. And then Jacob took it a step further. Whenever the stronger and the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they may be breeding among the sticks, but for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there, so that the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So not only is Jacob now getting the speckled and spotted sheep again, he's also now using a selective breeding strategy to make sure that the speckled young'uns are only coming from the strong sheep and goats, and the weaker ones are going to Laban. So giving him an advantage over, the, um, over Laban's flock. Smart guy. And how did that work out for him? In verse 43, we read, Thus the man increased greatly in large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Which This verse actually might sound a little familiar because that's also how it describes his father's wealth. So we can see that, again, he's regaining the wealth that maybe even God promised to his father through Jacob. So it worked pretty well, apparently. So are we to believe that Jacob took matters into his own hands and won back the advantage from Laban? through some use of crazy voodoo magic? Is that what we're supposed to believe as we're reading this here in Genesis chapter 30? What do we do with this? Okay, so again, looking at this crazy, I mean, I won't say crazy, looking at this sometimes hard to believe, uh, hard to understand text, um, we know that, uh, again, God has something for us. But anyone who's taken high school biology knows that that's not really what's going on here, right? Do I have any bi- like high school biology teachers in the room? No? Sometimes we do. Um, but if you remember the Punnett squares <laughs> in, in high school biology to figure out the likelihood of having brown eyes or green eyes, I'm going to get a whiteboard. We're going to do some Punnett squares, okay? So, no. But if you understand, that, right, that we know that what's happening here is not the fact that some magic sticks are making these happen. We know that Jacob is simply, simply finding the recessive genes in that white mama sheep, and um, simply that's what's passing on to her young ones. 
The sticks had nothing to do with it. But Jacob wasn't the one creating those speckled chiefs and goats through the use of magic sticks, was he? Just like we saw last week with Rachel's mandrakes, right? <laughs> they aren't magical. I mean, who is really behind Rachel's fertility and the speckled livestock? In verse, uh, last week, we read in verse 22, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her, her womb. God, of course, was the one at work. He's the creator of all things. It wasn't special sticks or magical mandrakes at work. And here in our text today, despite Laban's attempt to rob Jacob of what was rightfully his, God still provided for Jacob and his family. In fact, God provided a solution for Jacob that was actually stronger had Laban not stolen those sheep because we saw that Jacob was able to use that selective breeding process, right, to get stronger sheep. So it actually, he came out ahead in that. But remember, none of this started with Jacob. God had promised Abraham and Isaac that through their descendants, the world would be blessed. So what we're seeing this morning is simply Jacob being part of that fulfillment of God's promises that he made long ago. This is part of that fulfillment. Do you think that sneaky snake like Laban can mess up the sovereign story of God? Of course not. Of course not. God is always faithful to carry out his promises despite our messiness. Always. God is always faithful. Faithful. Rachel can't mess it up. Laban can't mess it up. Jacob can't mess it up. The devil himself can't mess it up. And even worse, I can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. But there's a truth, too, that also might make your head spin in this, that not only does God carry out his promises despite our messiness, sometimes he carries it out through our messiness. So unfathomable are God's ways that he often uses the very mistakes we make in trying to lead ourselves to bring about our good and his glory. Praise God. You don't have to look very far, even just in Genesis, to see people trying to take the reins from God because they think they can do it better. We all do that. I do that. You do that. And so far in the story, you know, this has been focused a lot on Laban's deception, but Jacob wasn't exactly scot-free either in his story, was he? I mean, just three chapters ago, we find Jacob conspiring with his mother to steal his father's blessings from his brother. Now who's the sneaky snake? <laughs> right, not just Jacob, we all are. We're all sneaky snakes, right? We all do this. We all try to take the reins from God because we believe we can do it better. Every one of us look at God and say, I can do it better. Or, this thing over here will satisfy me more than you will. Or, God, don't mess with my life until I need something from you. We all say those things. We might not say it aloud, out loud. We might not say it consciously, but we say it with our actions. We say it with how we interact with God. But the good news is that God's patience with his people is infinitely deep. The big story that we, read and that we read and study reminds us over and over of God's promise to deliver and save his people. Here in Genesis 30, we see again a microcosm example of God carrying out a promise that he made to a father being carried out through his son Jacob. But again, if we hit the fast forward button just a little bit, 
we see this happening over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. And if we keep going for generations, we'll see the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to save and deliver his people that we've already established this morning. Just like how God promised Abraham and Isaac that the world would be blessed through their sons, we know on this side of history that the son to bless the world would also be God's own son, Jesus Christ. And that's the good news for us today, is that God is always faithful to carry out his promises. And he already did that in the finished work of Jesus. While Jacob was looking forward in time for what God will fulfill, and he was seeing God fulfilling promises along the way, we today get to see the promised already completely fulfilled promises of God in Jesus. Jesus is the blessing to all the nations that God was promising. And although we sometimes want God's blessings more than we want God, like we saw Laban doing in our text this morning, like I admitted to doing a lot, the ultimate blessing God gives us can't be separated from him because the ultimate blessing God gives us is himself. That's good news, is it not, church? The ultimate blessing God gives us can't be separated from him because it's himself. This is the good news that we see here in Genesis 30. God is faithful to keep his promises. The whole Bible is a big story showing us God's faithfulness to his people. And God also said that through the Apostle Paul in Romans that whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You hear that? You will be saved. Not tomorrow, not when you finally pray enough, not when you finally go to church enough, not when you finally kick that addiction you've been struggling with for a long time. You will be saved today, right now. And God is just as faithful to fulfill that truth as he was to fulfill the truth that he gave to Abraham and Isaac through his son Jacob. Confess and believe, and he will fulfill that promise to you. Laban was worried about Jacob leaving because he feared that the Lord's blessing might leave with him. What Laban failed to grasp is that God himself is much more valuable than anything else he could give us. For those of you who don't call yourself a Christian in this room, and I'm sure there are some, this is the part I don't want you to miss. God doesn't want to give you a bunch of stuff. Let me put it this way. God doesn't only want to give you a bunch of stuff because he gave you himself. He wants to give you himself to restore your brokenness, to cover your nakedness and shame. This is what God offers to us as those of us who confess and believe in the finished work of Jesus. Listen to me. God loves you so much. He loves you no matter how messy you are, whether you're a Jacob or a Laban or even a Blake. (laughs) He loves you so much. Look what he did for you on the cross. And he demonstrates his love for us, most ultimately in that work of Jesus on the cross. And today he's inviting you to come and rest in him right now. Stop running. Stop tirelessly trying to do it on your own. You will never do enough to win God's favor. That's why he sent Jesus to do it for you. That's what we get to rest in, the finished work of Jesus, not on me hoping that the good is heavier than the bad at the end of the day. You will never do enough good to outweigh your bad. But Jesus did, and that's what we get to rest in.
And if you're already a Christian this morning, take joy and rest that God is still in control, because he is, despite how messy the world feels right now, because it does feel pretty messy. Remember, God is still faithful through that messiness. We can trust God to keep his promises, and he doesn't need us to take the reins because he's tired or freaked out or out of control. He doesn't need that from us. What a good God in heaven we serve. What a loving Father in heaven we have. How well does he take care of us, his children? Let me pray for us.